is, I don't know, kind of a quick question maybe, but the um, there's this sense that Ukraine has to hurry up, recapture territory before Russia annexes it. And I don't really understand that. Um, like, I'd like to annex my neighbor's house. That really doesn't mean shit. Um, so what, what uh, excuse the language, but what... Um, what does that really mean in, in a practical sense? Are they really in a rush to um, beat potential annexation? And what weight does them, Russia, declaring they've annexed something carry with the world? Uh, I mean, it means nothing to me, uh, but I'm just, you know, like Portland says, a rando on Twitter. Uh, so I'd like to understand that better and if there really is pressure for Ukraine to uh, advance ahead of Russia employing some of these mechanisms. Thanks. Portland. I think the Americans are getting a little tired. Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, I'm rooting around looking for something to eat. Uh, I'll be back momentarily. Do you think this is connected with this comment from earlier on uh, having enjoyed certain leaves i don't know we'll just leave that out there as speculation liberal hey finance i hope you're feeling better um i wanted to just add that with respect to i think misfit brought up the uh limitations on weaponry from um atacams and i read an article and i think i posted a meme about it that one can argue that Crimea is not Russia. It's an occupied territory belonging to the sovereignty of Ukraine. And it wouldn't be off the table to um, allow the Ukrainians to recapture Crimea. Maybe Dillman can speak to that. I, know the US has an I need to put in a point of clarification on that one. Per the last NATO summit, there are no limitations on... NATO weapons being used to strike inside Russia proper. That was a thing that was floated by a White House staffer that was never actually announced or agreed to by any of the relevant parties. And in fact, Liz Truss has been very explicit about the fact that they are fine uh, with British supplied weapons being used to strike Russia. Um... And the U.S. simply has made no official comment. There was one report which people ran with, um, but the source was never identified and it never appeared in any official uh, U.S. commentary. I would say quickly, though, that I think there's no evidence that they have struck anything in Russia since they received HIMARS. That's true, isn't it? It is not. They've hit Belgorod repeatedly with high bars. I will say, just for the purposes of uh, Crimea, uh, I know the U.S. has officially stated uh, repeatedly that Crimea is internationally recognized and recognized by the United States as part of, of Ukraine anyway. Uh, so I think that that doesn't really speak to Portland's point, which is that there aren't any restrictions. But even if there were, which I'm not saying there are, the U.S.'s position on Crimea is clear that it's Ukraine. Sorry, go ahead, Delman. So they, they've also hit not Belgorod, not just with HIMARS, they've also hit it with um, what seem to be airstrikes of some sorts. So they're very happy to hit uh, Russian 
territory. I believe they also hit across the border with tubed artillery at some uh, grad, um, at some grad launchers as well at some point a few weeks ago. Uh, tubed artillery specifically, you know, for counter battery fire, you can infer that that's probably Western tubed artillery. So um, yeah, that that's fine. So so good. I mean, I wouldn't be hitting Moscow though. So just just saying, like border regions probably fine. Um, and trying to hit any any of the true hinterland as eh, probably gets a little bit more more dicey. As long as they're following the rules of armed conflict, which I'm sure they will, they've shown every indication they will, in spite of an enemy that has abandoned every every aspect of it. So, uh, yeah, I think that there won't be any problems. Uh, they have every right to, uh, and the UN Charter gives the right of every country uh, self defense. So, if Russia is attacking them from Belgorod, uh, they have the right to hit Belgorod. If they're attacking them from, yeah, etc. You get the idea. Uh, go ahead, Adrian. Hey, good morning. Uh, well, on different topics, uh, I was uh, rambling on about, uh, although I would love for the railheads in Moscow to be completely fucked, honestly. Sorry for the technical term. Um, yeah, maybe that would be uh, one step too far. But I was uh, really um, pushing yesterday that uh, Domen was here, so I'm repeating for him. Um, but Porterland wasn't, and I would like to know his thoughts. Um, that in one of the conditions for com- for the defeat of Russia and making sure they don't come back is to basically sink the Black Sea fleet, even if it's in Novorossiysk now. And I understand that with Atacams, that's doable um, with longer-range missiles. But it's not only uh, of the ships and subs that are there, but it's also about the moral, um, not moral victory, the huge hit to Russian morale, because the Black Sea Fleet has a deep symbolism in Russian history. And for the idiots in Russia who think their country is uh, the business and the greatest in the world, uh, having uh, one of their national symbols, like even if it's a rusty shit bucket of a national symbol, but it has symbolic meaning. The Russian Black Sea Fleet be sunk and be sunk by Ukraine. Uh, yeah, uh, that would be like a significant step towards uh, um, making sure that victory is clear. What do you think, Portland? If there were enough munitions left over after we hit the targets that we need to really end the war, I would be okay with sinking the Black Sea Fleet too. I think it's definitely a priority, at least uh, broadly speaking. We've already seen the downing of the Moscow, right? Um, It would inhibit Russia's ability to launch uh, strategic strikes on Odessa in particular and uh, other areas as well. Um, Some of these terror attacks have come from certain ships in the Black Sea Fleet, so and also they've got capabilities, right? They've got these um, Harpoon missiles and Neptune missiles and uh, other types of missiles uh, given by other countries that I'm not familiar with. Doman might be able to give us more details. Uh, so I imagine, I mean, that, that's got to be the goal here. They're, they're, they're trying to use them if they can. I understand that probably the Black Sea Fleet is going to try to stay out of their range if possible, but... I think that seems to be an objective. It's just going to be tricky without any Navy to speak of. Uh, They've already done an amazing... The Ukrainian Navy, for not existing, has already done an amazing job sinking the the flagship and battleship Moscow. Uh, But Doman, I don't know, any thoughts on just the general ability of Ukraine uh, to sink the fleet? I don't know. 
or maybe maybe Portland would be a better. Um, you sort of already, yeah, you sort of already answered this, but I mean, what do you, what do you think about uh, the anti ship missile capabilities Ukraine has? Let's say that they they succeed in um, you know taking Kherson and the Black Sea coast kind of belongs to Ukraine. Um, like, how much could they strategically threaten? The Black Sea Fleet could they scare it back to Sochi, or or would it go hide in Sevastopol? What do you think? At that point, between shore-based harpoons and fast attack boats armed with brimstone and sea spear, they control absolutely the northern half of the Black Sea. Fast attack boats with brimstone sounds really cool, Portland. Could you please elaborate, just because how cool it sounds? In their last aid package, the U.S. Navy, or sorry, the U.S. government is supplying the Ukrainians with 40 fast inshore uh, patrol boats. They were immediately sent to the U.K. and are being fitted out to accept sea spear lightweight anti-ship missiles right now. They were not originally intended to carry such a weapon system. They were supposed to carry a 20 millimeter cannon. But now they're going to carry uh, two 20-millimeter cannons and um, uh, a, I think, seven- or nine-cell launcher for Sea Spear. Portland, that's amazing. I've been waiting for an update on those riverboats, and you finally gave it to me, and it's it's more than I could have dreamed. They're putting, they're putting missiles on them, and they're going to try to sink more Russian warships. Doman, any follow-up? That sounds great. Um, I don't think if um, I don't think that Ukraine can, you know, sink every last ship in the Russian Black Sea fleet. It can probably sink uh, lots of them if the strikes are planned appropriately, and most are sunk in port when they're bunched up together. Uh, that's probably the best way to do it, I reckon. Actually, Portland, weird question for you: Attackums, do they only carry unitary warheads, or do they have any of those? Um, cluster bomb-shaped charged ones as well. I'm sorry, what was the question? Um, you know how the M30 and M31 have this one is unitary, one is a cluster? Um, yeah. Are, are there cluster attackums as well? I believe attackums has a cluster munition warhead. It is not often used because it honestly defeats the purpose of what a magnificent, um, um, absolutely thumping, Sorry, dropped my phone. It really defeats the purpose of what a beautifully thumping, heavy uh, area denial weapon uh, Atacams actually is. But if you want to cover an area with literally thousands of sensor-fused munitions, and you want to do it like 600 miles away, well, 475 miles away, yeah, that's a system that you can use. Hey, Portland, I was wondering, uh, General Ryan was on here the other day. He's from Australia, and he he said, back of the cigarette packet math, and in America we say, like, bar napkin math. Like, what's the British equivalent of that? Back of the envelope. Back of the envelope math. Got it. Okay. Just curious. Uh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, uh, Vern, uh, to you. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um well, now that we have a sort of a clear idea of what it's going to take to defeat Russia militarily, um, I, I sort of want to get back to my point about 
you know, the possibility of, of the, you know, the, them, them doing it all again. And I, you know, I really think that the Russian Federation is a collection of states uh, like the European Union, except the states that are in it don't necessarily want to be there. And, and I do feel that, you know, that, that, that making efforts to break up the Federation are going to pay, would pay very long dividends in the future. And I think we have the capacity to do that. Um, and I, I know it sounds kind of abstract and I've heard sort of other people, you know, in this group sort of, you know, saying it's not possible and we shouldn't be aiming for it. But I think the cultural defeat of this empire is equally as important long-term as the short-term military defeat. And, you know, I really think that, you know, when you look at places like Chechnya and Dagestan and, and Siberia and, you know, and there's all other ethnic groups and cultures within Russia that were absorbed and, and destroyed that, you know, they could be rebuilt. Um, and, and I foresee that, I, I feel that that could be a long-term goal. Uh, thank you discuss no i think it's certainly possible but uh it's probably pretty far down uh the the road historically but uh Delman, any thoughts on that it's a uh double-edged sword really um it's on the one hand yes it might lead to better outcomes in the short term it might lead to better outcomes in the long term the problem is the medium term right uh balkanization like that uh often leads to a, a large-scale civil war. Um, that's not. What shall we say? That's not the best thing. Only when Russia's involved. <laughs> only when Russia's involved. Yeah, but not only when Russia's involved. I guess in a, in a way you're probably right. But I mean, Russia would be involved think, in this one, wouldn't it? So the thing is, I think Maddie once get... put it: Yugoslavia with nukes, Delman. Sorry, go ahead. Well, exactly, exactly. So that that's the thing, right? So there's two aspects to this. One. It wouldn't be like Russia would split up into dozens of equally sized tiny states. There would still be a very substantial rump Russia anywhere, right? Um, more than half the population would stay in one country. Well more than half the population. The bulk of the, of the non-extractive economy would stay inside the one country. Um, even if the middle Volga... Uh, republics left, the bulk of the industry would still stay in, in one country. Um, the bulk of the military capacity would still stay in one country. And that country would be fighting back to keep the, the natural resources. Um, it would be appallingly awful. Um, and that's why this isn't something that is like, a, like an intentional plan for what should happen, because people realize that, yes, there are some of these, you know, more distant republics that might want to go their own way, sure. But the bulk of the populace of Russia would still stay together and they would still have nukes and they would still have, you know, all manner of other weaponry. And they really wouldn't care not to use it to secure what they would consider their strategic interests, including... Um, the, the you know the the ores, the oil, the territory, the access to the Pacific, the access to the Black Sea, the access to the Caspian, right? 
Um, that's I, I think I think that's where the problem lies. Um, and Madi was right, right? Be, be Yugoslavia, but Serbia has leaks. Uh, that wouldn't be any good. Yeah, so I think the broad consensus around here is like we're kind of indifferent to it. Like if it happens, it happens. It's probably like it's just another aspect of this whole, the you know tragedy unfolding. I guess uh, I, I don't know. It it as Delman said, probably good in the short term. It would stop the war, the the Russian full scale invasion of Ukraine. Uh, in the medium term, it would be really bad, and maybe maybe in the long term, it would be good. Maybe not. So, you know, I think it's just maybe. Maybe we're we're indifferent to it. So it's not that we don't see it as possible or that we don't like the idea of it or that we don't want it to happen. But at the same time, we're maybe a little reluctant to cheer it on. Would you say that's like roughly accurate, Doman? Yeah, exactly. You know, there there can be plenty of internal discord. There can be plenty of internal discord within um, uh, within. Um, um, there can be plenty of internal discord within the Russian Federation with various subgroups in various parts uh, complaining loudly and heavily. That doesn't have to lead to a civil war. That doesn't have to lead to balkanization. But it can still have positive outcomes. And it could still, um, you know, severely weaken Russia. So that's probably the best outcome here. The best outcome is probably... Um, the best outcome is probably a weakened Russia that has internal strife, but not strife to the level of a civil war. In the, instead, strife to a level of great public dissatisfaction and with the public showing it. Yeah, and maybe, you know, all those ethnic republics that are supposedly have, you know, constitutions and their own governments and all that. Like, maybe if they really had those, um, it might, like, prevent the Russian state from having a purely extractive economy that just exploits all the people that live in like, you know, West Siberia where all the oil is, uh, for example, or the Caucasus. That's a very good point. Um, I just sort of feel like now's the time, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll keep musing on it. I, I do appreciate your, uh, your commentary on it. And um, yeah, thank you. Uh, you've um, answered my question, so to speak. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank That's you. Very We're not against it. Go ahead, Dom. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's 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 um yeah, I, 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 a half measure here might be the best the best outcome. Atypically, but it might just be the best outcome. Hey, and I don't think Aaron. we have much control over it. Do you, Dylan? In general, we don't have we don't have any control over it anyway. Um, we have no control over it. This is it's it's unlikely that anybody would be able to destabilize Russia in that particular way intentionally. I'll tell you that much. It's very unlikely. Um, it would require jumping through way too too many hoops. Even the so-called republics, they don't tend to have a majority of the ethnic group that the republic is named after. You should remember that. I think that's an important aspect. It's only very few of them that actually are majority whatever ethnicity. Um, Even the ones that are are majority non-Russian, generally have a mix of ethnicities and the minority in the minority republic tends to be additionally repressed and suppressed. So it's, um, it's, it's very complicated in that respect, I would say. Um, uh, maybe I would love to have Madi on to discuss this properly and we can kind of do, you know, a t- 10 different republics and kind of treat them. Um, the the way that the Soviets kind of parceled out the republics is kind of important as well. If you look up the Orenburg Corridor, that's what it's called, right? The Orenburg Corridor. Yeah, um, that that's the 
city that's just to the south of Tatarstan and Bashkortostan separates Tatarstan and Bashkortostan from uh, from Kazakhstan, right? There's a reason why uh, Tatarstan didn't go its own way at the demise of the Soviet Union, and that's because it would be completely locked within uh, the Russian Federation borders. Uh, had it been able to do that, it probably would have left. So I think that's uh, that's something that's worth remembering as well, right? This was considered uh, 30 years ago, give or take, uh, but it didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen is market and still there. Um, and again, most republics, you know, are either majority ethnically Russian or a very, very large, substantial minority ethnic Russian. Um, it'd be way too complicated. Way too complicated. Well, Doman, there's one way to get Russians out of your country, but it's not pretty. Uh, it happened in Tajikistan in 1993, so <laughs> I won't go there. Well, exactly, but but like, but they didn't want to stay in Tajikistan. But look at other states, right? Look at look at Kazakhstan. Look at how many Russians are still. There's still three plus million Russians in Kazakhstan because they didn't care to leave because they didn't need to leave, right? And the same would apply to all of these other republics. It's not as though the Russians just pack up and go anyway. No, they wouldn't, because especially places where they're in the majority, or at least they're in a, you know, a, a region of a republic where they're in the majority, they will still concentrate there. And that, that's why there's no way that this organization would be you know, successful in the trivial way of saying, oh, but these are these ethnic republics. They'll just go, no, no, they're not. Um, no, they're not. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's go to Sergio. Good morning, Sergio. Sorry about the delay. Uh, yes, good morning, Roman. Good morning, Joseph. Portland, uh, Aaron. There. Oh, lots of people. I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses on. Uh, my eyes are. I'm getting more and more blind as time goes on. Um, uh, I had. Um, well, you know that uh, the are going to ease sanctions against certain Russian banks. There's a list of banks. Uh, VTB. Sergio, I think you're cutting out a bit, Doman. I'm sorry? I think you're cutting out a bit. Is that just me, Doman? No, Sergio, you are cutting out a bit. In an okay, it's all right. Bit, no, so uh, uh, yeah, I'll be back. Okay, okay. You. Thank you, Sergio. Let's, let's talk about this in, in a bit if you have a better better connection later. Yeah, I heard the question broadly about banks, but I, I just know that finance mentioned Sparebank is uh, now part of the sanctions, but uh, maybe we can uh, yeah. get uh, more detail to your question later, right? Eh? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just change my headset, that's all. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Okay, perfect, Andrew. Aaron, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, morning, all. Um, Domin, I don't know if you've seen, but the Antonovsky Bridge been hit again this morning, so I think they're going to have to in- infrastructure again. Interesting. Have... No, I have not seen that. Okay, I'll send you the video, Domin. Hang on. Is it on Special Cat's uh, profile? Because that's the thing that was the first thing I opened when... Uh... Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, yep, yes, it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> all right, Domin's got it, then. Yeah, so they're obviously going to have to infrastructure stop the movement of um, Russian troops. So uh, it'll like they're pushing, pushing Kherson at some point. Yeah, so there have been two strikes on the Antonovsky Bridge. And so as far as I understand, there's three bridges, basically two big ones, maybe one small one. I'm not 100% sure on that. But anyway, there's uh, two main bridges. And uh, there's the one, the main one's the Antonovsky Bridge. Uh, of maybe yesterday, there was a strike on it, um, kind of a peculiar strike. Portland basically came in today, and we sort of sussed out that it, with Gurney and maybe John, I think, um, that it was artillery, probably just regular old 155 shells, 
um, probably on a delayed fuse that punched through the concrete. It's pretty thin, um, the way the bridge is set up. So that was just like the thought. Now, today, there's been a more recent strike, maybe about an hour ago, maybe a half hour ago. I'm not sure, 100%. But, um, yeah, so there's, like, been two strikes in the last 24 hours. There's also been uh, several strikes in Kherson over the last couple days. So two days ago, they got uh, a radar. That radar that's being reported right now, that was maybe two days ago. Um, I think the jet, that SU, uh, that more advanced uh, fighter jet was taken down in the Kherson area. What's that? SU-35. Yes, thank you, Aaron. Yeah, the SU-35 was taken down. I don't think directly over Kherson, but in that general area. Um, And then uh, an electronic warfare system was also taken out recently. Um, Two ammo dumps, and I think a command post also very recently was taken down. Um, So, yeah, there's been a lot of strikes in Kherson in the last 72 hours. Uh, Seems pretty serious to the point where now the Ukrainian Air Force is openly operating, like, in Kherson's kind of airspace and striking targets at will. Like, they seem to be dictating the pace of what's happening and picking their enemy apart, but... I'm, you know, I'm not a military analyst. Uh, I couldn't say for sure, but uh, maybe Portland. Uh, any thoughts on this? I think it's bedtime for Portland, but uh, Doman. Oh, no, we got Portland. Here we go. It's, uh, it, it takes a moment for my phone to recognize that I, uh, I want to turn the microphone on. Um, so I think the thing that we can really see in the vicinity of Herson is that Ukraine has so thoroughly degraded all of Russia's key enablers that they appear to be able to operate with not total, but pretty close to total impunity. Um, That special forces raid was really ballsy. We've seen SU-25s flying unusually high we we normally see them flying at like wheat top height to stay below radar uh we've seen pictures of them of late flying as high as a thousand feet which is obviously much better that for their fuel efficiency um they appear to be pretty comfortable conducting close air support um which is a big difference They've not historically been willing to do that in the face of determined Russian air defenses. But the thing is, is that if you have to move supply dumps 80 kilometers back, you have to move your S-300s another 56 kilometers back behind that so that they can cover the supply dumps at which point your S-300, S-400s are not meaningfully covering the front. So if you can come in low and fast, uh, you can quite reliably hit uh, troop concentrations with close air support. And that's that's a pretty major achievement. That is Battlefield Shaping 101. Thank you, Portland. And now we got, uh, actually, Aaron, any, any follow-up there in terms of... Uh... Your question? No, not the moment, no. Actually, I, ha- I have a follow-up, sorry. Portland, did you see the video of the destruction on Antonovsky Bridge this morning? Sorry, Portland, I didn't mean to mute you. <laughs> now I understand why you you don't mute yourself often, because it takes forever. Okay, sorry. Um, 
Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen a new video of the Antonovsky Bridge yet, uh, but if there is one, I would love to see it. Two seconds. Gentlemen, sending it now. While you watch that, we'll go to Sojo. Sojo, go ahead. Thank you, Joseph. Um, my check? All clear. Great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the EU easing sanctions against uh, VTB, Sovcom Bank, Novicom Bank, Promski. Oh, my gosh. Another bank. Yeah. Promsvyaz. Yes, Promsvyaz Bank. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll see you uh, uh, and more. Um, and the long and the short of it is uh, that they say it's necessary to facilitate trade in food and fertilizers. Um, I was, uh, I would like to hear um, the panels, any, all of you, any of you, um, your thoughts on this and, and, uh, whether whether this easing of sanctions, um, you know, can 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 be sort of um, manipulated on the on the Russian side to to sort of you know uh, get get around uh, sanctions on 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 other trading and other goods somehow. I don't know. I'm I am I have absolutely no idea about how these things work. Uh, I just want to hear your thoughts. Thank you. So I'm I'm very happy to talk about this. Uh, thank you for bringing this up, Sergio. I, I was uh, kind of hoping we would have talked about this yesterday already, but then we just ended up not doing it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I think we're just busy with all sorts of other things. But let's put it this way. The reason why this came into force is because there was some sort of pressure, probably very much informal pressure, and by pressure I mean, you know, pestering and badgering a little bit, of various countries in what can broadly be termed the global south, um, that have seen what happened in Sri Lanka just now. And what happened in Sri Lanka was completely self-inflicted, right? Because the country banned fertilizer uh, a couple of years ago, and then it just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't uh, produce enough food anymore, and they didn't have enough hard currency anymore to buy food from elsewhere anymore because the tourism industry collapsed during COVID. However, um, what happened in... Um, what, what many countries saw was maybe it's not that good an idea uh, not have lots of artificial fertilizer and food supplies for the global south because you're going to cause problems in many other countries. So lots of people are like, look, Russia is a big producer of food, a big exporter of food. It's a big exporter of fertilizer. If they can't get paid because of these sanctions, because it's really hard to pay them we might have problem in a dozen other countries by next year. And this simply isn't worth it. Fertilizer and food aren't moneymakers, um, as in they don't generate vast quantities of, of value added. Those are they're, they're relative, you know, relatively cheap commodities, but at the same time, they're essential commodities. This also brings the world food prices down a little bit because the availability goes up because simply the... Uh, limits on how easy it is to trade it go down. The same goes on fertilizer prices. It's not a bad idea in that respect. Again, it doesn't give Russia a whole lot of extra income. So that's why they did this. Um, now, how much can it be used to skirt other sanctions? I think that's an excellent question, and that's uh, a question I have as well, and that's a question that's a little bit beyond me being able to answer it. Um, 
justify everything I've been doing, but not answering your question, Sergio, but making giving some background for anybody else listening who's confused at why any sanctions would be loosened in the first place. Um, I don't know how much it can be used to, to skirt other sanctions. The specific thing I'm the most worried about is expanded sale of stolen food from Ukraine to third countries by Russia. That is the principal thing that worries me about, that, that I'm worried about here, because there are vast quantities of stolen grain and, and other things in um, uh, the, the, you know, other, other agricultural products uh, that Russia has stolen. And this makes it easier for more third countries to procure it. There's a reason why it was primarily places like Syria that were buying stolen grain thus far is because they have a you know, special arrangement between Russia and Assad. Um, but most other countries didn't because they didn't want to go bypass the, the usual the, the usual payment systems. Um, how much can it be used to avoid other sanctions? Probably a little bit. Uh, but I think that the way it was done, there's probably going to be relatively strict controls over it. And remember, food and fertilizer are cheap commodities when it comes to cost per ton, which means that a whole shipload, a whole giant, you know, giant ship, a whole large seafaring ship doesn't carry that much worse. And that th this is the thing that can be tracked relatively easily, right? So you said you paid so-and-so much for wheat on your Swiss transfer, so-and-so much fertilizer on your wheat on your, on your Swiss transfer, but then it didn't. you didn't get a ship in? You didn't get a ship going from Russia to your whatever country full of fertilizer and quite a, you know, quite a big ship where you got just some little ship? What, what was on that little ship? Did some other stuff or, you know, wasn't an appropriate type of ship to be carrying this? This type of good, so so there, there's some there's some level of control, but as I think that you'll appreciate, and I think that you agree with me, that we probably have the same big concern about the stolen goods from Ukraine, the stolen commodities from Ukraine uh, that are going to be easier to be sold. So, Jeff, yes, yes, that is a, a very large concern. Um, uh, you know, how is it? How is it um, set up? I mean. How is it? Is there any kind of like um, control over uh, over the goods and things and, and the money passing hands? Is it going to go through a third party? I, I don't um, I don't know the details. No, very specifically, it's not going to go through a third party. It's what what this loosening of sanctions does is it means that it no longer has to go in any roundabout way. It's now a normal bank transfer again that everybody's used to. So that's the difference, it becoming a normal bank transfer again. Um, again, any controls that can occur have to occur in this kind of indirect way. Uh, but let's say that the world banking system is quite used to this indirect way because of all of the efforts that have gone into um, limiting the financing of terrorism, right? So any big transfers kind of come in with unspecified checks in the background. And that makes it, I would say, a little bit less daunting or a little bit less scary uh, in the specific case. But it, it does a little bit because we kind of have an idea of how to, of how roughly to control. Thank you. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I find it a little, a, a little worrying. Um, uh, hopefully we'll, um, we'll, we'll uh, get to the bottom of, uh, 
of 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 how much uh, um, it can be used to sort of uh, yeah circumnavigate other sanctions etc. Um, throughout the next couple of days. Anyway, thank you uh, very much for your response. Thank you, Sergio. I th- thanks for bringing it up. Um, I almost forgot about it. I had it in my um, uh, in my list of things to talk about yesterday, uh, but then we got to uh, Yaroslav from from Mariupol before. Uh, I got round to it, and honestly, by that point, my phone wasn't too happy because the weather is relatively warm compared to <laughs> compared to weeks past. Um, so, so we never we never got round to it. Uh, so, thank you for bringing it up. I think it's a, it's a good thing to discuss, and maybe when we have a Axel round later, we can uh, bring it up again because he might have some thoughts on this as well. Um, being you know, at least somewhat familiar with these. Uh, as someone was saying earlier, I think finance, right, Sberbank actually got under stricter sanctions now, uh, which is good because Sberbank is the largest Russian bank. Um, and, uh, you know, it used to own lots of banking institutions around, let's say, Central and Eastern, Southeastern Europe previously, but they had to divest from all of those in a massive hurry uh, in late February, uh, early March. Um, so all of those got sold off to basically local banks, other other major regional and local players previously. Um, notably, quite a lot of those acquisitions about, I don't know if finance is listening, but about a third, I think, of those acquisitions in Central and Eastern and Southeastern Europe happened when they bought one, I don't know if it's German or Austrian, um, kind of chain of small banks, basically, or a small bank chain, small to medium-sized bank chain, and then rebranded it as Bearbank. So there's some uh, there's some background there. They didn't actually just go in and establish all of their own banks. Um, this is regarding a conversation the finance was having about an hour and a half ago when it wasn't up speaking yet, and uh, I just wanted to, to tie that in real quick. So, Joe. Yes, thank you. It was very relevant. Um, do we have um, anyone on the team um, in our community um, following uh, the stolen grain sort of closely, who who can uh, come and uh, update us on 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 that subject uh, once in a while? Um, yeah, do we have anyone? Onza eighty eight would be a good one. But... Yes, I was thinking the same, um, um, Aaron. He's been following um, this, but uh, I don't know if anyone else has uh, also. Um, because it would be it would be good to 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 tie it into to our to our daily conversations. Tim's been following it as well. I I try and give uh, Tim a message if I can. Perfect. Thank you. Um. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know how much actually you know there there is to follow at the end of the day. Um. Yes. Any green ship going out of Sevastopol for for a start. Any ship going out of Berdyansk in Mariupol. Right. All of those are going to undoubtedly be loaded up with uh, with stolen goods, be it wheat or be it something else, uh, steel, likely from Mariupol. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a that's a great idea, and I think that'd be uh, you know very meaningful and very important. Well, Doman, maybe it's a good time for some announcements, huh? Hello, listeners. You're listening to the Maria Report. Uh, we are a 24-hour Twitter space dedicated to discussing the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the genocide against the Ukrainian people. Uh, we also support uh, MariaAid.org. MariaAid is an organization that is run by volunteers. Uh, there's no overhead costs, no administrative costs. They are 100% devoted to getting non-lethal aid to Ukraine, things like body armor, tourniquets, hemostatic bandages, 
thermals, night vision, uh, stuff Ukrainians need right now uh, to resist the Russian invasion. Uh, so you can definitely support what we do here at the Maria Report. Uh, please uh, retweet the space if you can. It uh, helps spread our message. Uh, please let people know about the uh, our, our space. It definitely helps us uh, get our message out to people who haven't heard of us before. Of course, uh, if you can, please uh, visit mariaaid.org. And uh, we know not everyone is able, but if uh, you're in a position to, uh, please consider giving to Maria Aid because uh, it'll definitely go to helping uh, procure non-lethal aid and sending it to Ukraine. Uh, no salaries, no administrative costs, no pizza parties, as we like to say. Uh, and of course, we have a great panel here. We got Doman, we got Portland, uh, got uh, me, I guess. <laughs> um, anyway, if anyone has a question for our panel, uh, please feel free to come on up. Uh, you can press the little mic button in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. Then you can press the little heart icon in the center. And on the far right-hand side, you can see a little hand icon for raising your hand. And when you do that, we'll do our best to answer your question. Mm. I was about to say back to you, Doman, but since we got a pretty big lull here, I'll announce our speakers. So we've got uh, two speakers today. I'm going to go in coordinated universal time. So listener, if you uh, are able, maybe look up where you are in relation to coordinated universal oh God, just time. The, just, the, just, the, just the East Coast. People know where okay. New York is. People don't know where Iceland is. You're right, Doman. Uh, I'm going to stick with Eastern time. Thank you, Doman. Uh, mas- Doman is a master of time zones, in case anyone doesn't know that. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm going to stick with Eastern Time. Everyone, please look up Eastern Time. Uh, so at 2 that's p.m. That's New Eastern... York. For anybody who doesn't know, that's New York. If you know what time it is in New York, how many hours you are relative which way from New York, because most people are roughly familiar with that, uh, uh, not being as much of a danger as they currently generally are. Um, I think I'll try to bring some more people up. So, uh, goodness. As I said, my, my phone is already freezing up a little bit, which is very disconcerting, seeing that it's only the morning. And this isn't going to go well if it, can, it keeps on going like this. Um, where were we? Uh, morning, Adrian. Morning, Aaron. Uh, let's get a handful more people up, if you'd so please. And then we can get on going. Uh, we can only need 47 people. That's no good. Uh, we were, you know, 280-odd when we crashed. Uh, we didn't even know that we were going to crash uh, because this time there wasn't even any warning that there was going to be a crash. Not the one I've seen anyway. Um, and I, that... I did get a warning that said the host having connectivity issues before. It Interesting, because I didn't. Uh, okay, I'm glad to know that at least there was a warning. Um, it's a shame. Yeah, anyway, the, the, I don't know what's happening with this latest Twitter update. Um, Usually, like for the last mo- few months, like I never had problems with my phone on uh, Android. Uh, I didn't understand why everybody was complaining because uh, mine seemed to work just fine all the time. But uh, for, for the last few days with this Twitter thing, updates and so on, uh, yeah, mine is crashing also and blocking. So something is happening with the app. Oh man, do you know what I really found funny yesterday was um, the meeting between um, Putin and Aragorn? The amount of time that he left Putin waiting. I I think, you know, it was even better. Um, Putin and I forget what Iranian leader he was meeting at the time, sitting in a table on different walls, but there being no table, sorry, sitting in a room on different sides of the walls, but there being no table in between. So I think I figured out what's going on. So you know how Putin likes sitting at really large tables, right? Whenever he's meeting someone. I think what happened is Iran 
the Iranians, they're so inventive that even under all the sanctions they've been under, they've developed invisible table technology. Wow, they're the head of a game. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, this is, this is why it's particularly worrisome. Not, not actually on a serious point. It is quite worrisome that um, Iran is... Um, um, that the Iran is now going to be helping Russia effectively because Iran kind of knows how to get around of things while under sanctions. Now, it's not too bad uh, for the simple reason that Iran doesn't do that well under sanctions either. But nevertheless, it is uh, pretty bad that they're going to be helping a country that doesn't know how to act and behave and succeed while under sanctions. So that's um, all a part of the game, I think. Okay, I need to change the title of the space if it's going to let me. When you're a world superpower and you've got to go to Iran for help and you know you've got issues. Okay, we've got a title up now. Hopefully it'll stick. Adrian. Yeah, and Aaron, I agree. Adrian. Hey, good morning all. Let's hope uh, things will stay as they are. I don't know if Sojo is back because she had the same question, but... um, uh, I also saw this news about uh, some certain Russian banks. Uh, uh, it's a proposal to ease sanctions on them uh, to banks with ha- which have connections uh, to food shipments or food, something like that. I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds like a, a great way to subvert sanctions on getting other things. So um, what the hell is going on? So I, I we kind of talked about this a bit ago, right? I think it's just been a realization in, say, Europe, but also elsewhere, that um, Russia is just such a big food and, more importantly, um, artificial fertilizer uh, exporter, um, that it has to be allowed to sell fertilizer and food because otherwise there's going to be unintended consequences down the road. And to just... Um, uh, uh, to To... Um, for them to sell fertilizer to, you know, whatever countries are trying to buy fertilizer from them. That's not a bad idea in the end. And that is actually going to help prevent there being, you know, negative consequences down the road, uh, prevent there being um, protests in third countries, effectively. Um, You don't want this to end up a larger destabilization across the world. Um, you don't because of destabilization elsewhere will mean a it'd be more difficult for Rufus on Ukraine because if there's you know there's other problems elsewhere that can that can distract um but also importantly i would note it makes it more difficult um, it makes it more difficult to get these third countries on side when it comes to actually putting the screws on russia where it does matter uh, simply put, there isn't that much money in food and fertilizer, but they're very important. And actually, lowering the prices of things a bit by increasing the availability, that can help things a little bit as well. Um, Adrian, follow up, and then back to Sergio. Well, that makes total sense, uh, and I agree. If only Russia wasn't trying to use, uh, uh, deliberately trying to uh, steal provoke a crisis in third countries. So my question is, would they actually, even with sanctions lifted, I mean, they're not hurting for money from the oil and gas, like uh, 
would they actually export this if they had the choice between exporting and getting a little bit of extra money or just not exporting even though they could and uh, just let these countries uh, riot so they can distract from their war? Russia has... <laughs> like I can... So the, it's the, obvious, like I can trust them for anything. That's what could, I mean. Right? That, no, you're, you're right. They absolutely could. The problem is they have a lot of... Um, they have a lot of ties with various of these countries, right? And these are long-standing ties. And if it becomes clear that they're not being stopped from doing so by sanctions and that it is the Russian decision not to do it, they can irreparably harm very long-standing ties and that they're not willing to do, right? They're not willing to harm their long-standing ties with, say, South Africa or any country like that, because yes, they're not that important to players in the world stage, but a dozen of them together, it starts getting a little bit more dicey for them. Uh, they need to have some sort of, um, what shall we say, some sort of a coalition of, um, um, uh, some sort of a coalition of, of, of you know, the, these mid-sized uh, third countries uh, that at least broadly supports Russia they won't be able to do that if they're now saying, oh, you know, we're not going to sell you fertilizer and, you know, you you do whatever. Um, one interesting thing is that Putin in Iran, talking about grain, said that 